It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero Show, recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au and whatever podcasting app you choose to use. G'day, my name is Anthony Daniel and I'm joined as always by Matt Grantham. How are you, mate? Very good, Anthony. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks. And uh, our guest today is another one of these entrants in the distributed software space, Matt. That's right. We're going to be speaking to Andrew Mears from Switched In, which is an integrated Internet of Things-based company that combines both hardware and software platform to enable consumers to get better control of their energy usage. And he joins us in the studio today. How are you today, Andrew? Great, guys. Thanks, Thanks for having for, me. for coming in. Can you just give us a little bit of a sort of history at the start here, Andrew, a bit about yourself and also a sort of brief history of Switched In? Okay. Well, look, I've been working in renewables for about 25 years now. I'm an engineer. I started off doing projects and uh, end up doing a lot of work in developing countries for UN and other organisations. In that role, I sort of worked out the hard way that when you're managing lots of small systems distributed over large areas, data and the ability to coordinate these things and develop insights is key, is key to having a sustainable commercial platform, but it's also keen to engaging and involving people in these technologies. So um, returning to Australia a few years ago, um, started to think about this, and then three years ago started to work on Switched In. You, you Just before we went to air, you, you spoke about how you're from Newcastle when you returned to Newcastle and about the transformation that's happened there. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, look, um, Newcastle was a steel city. It was one of the steel cities in Australia, and uh, and then with the passing of of that um, that industry, we've seen such an amazing transformation. Lots of people down here have heard about the Renew program, which really you know brought creatives into the the dead heart of the city and uh, created a new life. and uh, And now I think we're seeing. Um, the repurposing of a very capable technical sector there, wow. um, and we're seeing you know lots of startups. So, so for example, we're part of a, of a clean tech smart cities incubator called eighteen oh four. But there's a whole lot of other things happening in the startup space there too, which is really exciting. Fantastic. Now, we moved on to, to Switched In, and one of the taglines that that really stuck out to me when I was on the website was, "Why wait for the smart grid?" Now, I mean, I guess there's different definitions of smart grid, but do you, do you have a specific, when you say smart grid, were you referring to something specific as a top-down approach that people have talked about that would rely on, say, government mandates and, and utility involvement? Is that what you were talking about with smart grid and how, and perhaps suggesting that it hasn't really lived up to the promise? Exactly. So, the look, the space is shifting so quickly, but even... Yeah, even 12 months ago, the dialogue around these things, smart grid, 
smart energy was all about big infrastructure. Right. And, uh, and we're still seeing a lot of that now, of course, when you hear the local debates going on, South Australia and all that sort of stuff. But, but really, the power is shifting. The future market of energy is going to be at the distribution level, and that must involve the, the prosumer, the, the, the end user in that process. But it was funny with the South Australian idea, though. It, they, it surprised me how they probably weren't thinking as top-down as you think. Like The government was almost suggesting, oh, we're just going to be a participant, but we're going to play an important role rather than, you know, I was surprised by how little of it was, uh, we're going to set the rules differently. So you're right. So, so there's such a transformation taking place right now. That talk is so new. I think there's been people talking about it for a long time, but to hear it, it discussed uh, in that way and to, to see agendas being set around this type of approach, that's pretty Very positive. Uh, Andrew, can we sort of just get a little bit of an idea about switched in and, and some of the, the hardware? Uh, you know, describe in uh, in your own words. You know, what the device <laughs> looks like, what does it measure, and how does it measure it? What what is this little magic box that you've created? Okay, so so look, uh, I mean, what we're seeing now is the coming together of two completely different technology pedigrees. We've got on the one side, we've got the utility regulated industry where any bit of equipment that goes then there is highly specced and complies with international standards and all that sort of stuff. And on the other side of the meter, on the customer side, we've essentially got a, a technology which is a consumer appliance. And mm. There's no standards. It's still it's sorting it's itself out. Still there. sorting yeah. itself yeah. out, right? So, so what we've done is we've come in and we've helped bridge that gap. So we have this little box called a droplet. It's our piece of hardware, and it's essentially a comms adapter. It's the Swiss Army knife of communications. It talks to inverters and power and uh, power meters and uh, battery systems, and it, it enables you to bring all that data together. It doesn't matter what brand of inverter you've got or battery. We, we really covered most of the main ones. Um, it brings that all onto the one platform, and that, of course, means then that you can start to coordinate across large groups of heter- heterogeneous, <laughs> heterogeneous um, <laughs> systems. That's a good boggle word, that one. Good good one for Scrabble. And can I just sort of delve into that a little bit, Andrew? What does this require an uh, elect- electrician to install it? What's its, uh, how does it get onto the system? Yeah, so it just plugs into your inverter, so you don't need an electrician to do that. And in some cases, if it's being deployed as part of an electricity retailer program or, or something else, it can just plug into your power meter. If it's not, if it's being installed by your solar electrician, then they may have to put in another little power meter to, to, to measure the grid consumption. And that does involve an electrician. Yes. Sure. So would someone, you say, in a regular home, would they require multiples of these if they've got, say, a battery and some solar, or would they only need the one? Just the one droplet brings all that together. It's, uh, the droplet's got some inbuilt smarts that uh, coordinates the way these things work together and then, and then brings that out, of course, as all these things into a cloud app, web app. So you can see what's going on, but also it's got some machine learning that learns how you're consuming electricity and it, uh, it forecasts the generation by taking into account weather forecasts and it uses that to optimize energy consumption in the, the optimize the end the use of your battery um, to improve performance when we're, and we're going to assume now i mean it's, it's amazing how advanced this is but i'm just going to assume right now you could upgrade the firmware remotely so if you get better at that stuff all of that can be upgraded in situ i'm guessing that, absolutely it's all uh, you know over the wire upgradable yeah. all the things we expect these days yeah, yeah? 
It's 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 essentially you know it runs on Linux and uh, so it's all a lot of open source software involved. Yeah. Um, so we really think that's a key part of future proofing this technology. And what does it cost out of Curiosity? And so, what's the cost structure for the how 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 your software and and uh, and hardware in- integrates from a consumer from a, just a normal consumer point of view? So look, firstly, our customer is the fleet manager. We work through the the entity that's managing the fleet, whether that's an electricity retailer or a community energy project or a commercial facility manager. And uh, we have an upfront cost for the droplets, $195 plus GST. We then have an ongoing subscription, which is about 10 bucks a month. Okay. Okay. And, and let's talk a little bit about that uh, sort of moving on to the sort of software side of things. We've covered the hardware, obviously. So tell us a little bit about the software platform that you've created that links into this droplet that you've described. Yeah, so, you know, all the buzzwords that are coming around, this is what you call edge computing. Right. Really? (laughs) Okay. So most of the smarts actually sit inside the droplet because what we're doing is it needs to happen quickly and uh, it needs to happen even if you don't happen to have your internet connection. So there's a lot of smarts in the droplet and then uh, then at the cloud, we, we, we do the sorts of things that happen across the fleet. So if you want to coordinate the way, you know, a thousand rooftop solars are working together to create a, what they call, you know, the buzzword, another buzzword is the virtual power, power plant. plant. Yes. Yep. Then, Somebody's um, playing bingo at home and tick, we've got that one. <laughs> tick, we've got that one. Yep. So virtual power plant, you can cross that one off people. So then, um, then that's what we need to do in the cloud. So, so that's when we, we bring our algorithms in in the cloud. Trying to find a way to bring death spiral. <laughs> but, but, but so, so you're saying a lot happens on the droplet side uh, in in the unit itself. So how often would it phone home, if you like, to the cloud? Yeah. So the droplet talks to the inverter and the power meter every second or, or more. But uh, updating back to the cloud, it's uh, it's actually configurable. It depends on what you're doing. N- normally, it's every minute. But, uh, you know, if you're running it over a 3G or 4G connection, as some of our clients want to do, then um, it's better to back it off to every 15 minutes. Okay. So, it's, it's, yeah, so it's, it is 3G enabled, so it doesn't require uh, a Wi-Fi connection. So, but it is relying on the client to have a 3G connection. So, uh, so it actually um, it comes standard with Wi-Fi and Ethernet, and the 3, 3G, 4G is an, is an option. When f- when those things are involved, you can make it work in what we call fallback mode. So, you know, so it can use the customer's internet, but if something doesn't work, it falls back to the okay. 3G, 4G. So you've got options redundancy. Great. Mm. And and what sort of information does it sort of collect and display for the consumer? What's it, you know how and how does how does the consumer sort of um, get that information? Yeah. So we connect in with with the inverter, so we can give you the the, the power flows in the system, the solar. Through the through the power meter, we can pull the grid, and using uh, and we we from the inverter, we can also tell what's happening in the battery. Um, we can then calculate. We don't need to measure what's going to the to the load, what's being consumed, but we get much more than that because we connect directly with the devices. We also get the statuses and alerts from the devices. We get temperature measurements, mm-hmm. which the devices themselves provide, which is very important if you you've got lithium batteries in there. You want to because that's a key element of your warranty and a, a wealth of other data. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so, so the, and the front end provides both, you know, a simplified view showing you how the major energy flows are going on in your house. But then we've also got lots of scope there for the geek 
who wants to drill down and see everything possible that they can see. That's all there as well. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, uh, you talked about the front end, but I wanted to talk a bit about the back end and the enabling technology. One thing that I noticed on your website was there was a whole bunch of logos at the bottom of various open source projects and things that, that you leverage off. And you know, there's all these expectations about, and people talk about the cloud and blah blah blah, and and there's and there's yeah massive expectations on what's possible from what would be you know startups. These guys are a couple of people, and the reason you're able to do so much of that is because you're able to leverage these incredible projects. People perhaps don't appreciate that even in how much the internet's developed in the last five or ten years in providing all this enabling technology for someone who's just a, an individual to provide an incredible service. So, I mean, I've got things like things like Amazon Web Services, I'm sure, which pl- plenty of listeners are, ava- um, are aware of, something like Cassandra, like the, the, the database service, that making a service like yours almost turnkey, be able to put it together, add a few elements, of course, that, that are your own IP, but really produce something that, that is incredible. Can you expand on a couple of these technologies and, and how you've used them? Look, absolutely. You know, I mean, it, it is a new world. I mean, I'm, yeah, my first startup when I was 23, we built a control system for uh, controlling communication dishes for satellites. And back then you had to write every piece of code yourself. Yep. And it was an incredibly complex and in, you know, in the end you end up with this small product and it's expensive to make. Things have completely transformed. I mean, we've built switched in on the back of a number of key products a platform called Storm, which was what Twitter was originally based on. It's a platform for managing, for doing stream processing of messages in the cloud. So in in Twitter, of course, everyone's tweeting and these messages are coming through and you've got to process, put those through algorithms and do other things. Well, th- there's this platform that makes this possible. And and really, we've structured our our system around that, which means we are immensely scalable. And, and we can run very cheaply and very fast. And that has been transforming. Fantastic. You're listening to the Beyond Zero Show, and we're speaking to Andrew Mears from Switched In. Andrew, that's uh, it's getting a good idea of the hardware and the software is, 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 you know, is, is a really good sort of setup for this next conversation. I just wanted to sort of delve into the sort of value proposition. Uh, what is the main value proposition? And we'll talk about the grid and other bits and pieces, but what's the main value proposition that it creates in its current form for the consumer? So the, the main value proposition for our customer, which isn't necessarily the end user, not immediately, is that we solve this integration problem. We enable you to manage heterogeneous fleets in real time, tens of thousands of systems, uh, and to coordinate the way they work. Now, the, the benefits that flow onto the end user are that that enables participation in new types of energy services. It enables um, you to access larger bodies of data, which can improve the way your system works and reduce your energy costs. It enables you to participate in virtual power plants, where you may, you know, depending on the business model that our customer delivers, it, you know, may present you with other revenue opportunities. And we also, we're also hoping, once the, once the frameworks are there, to for it to enable you to participate in peer-to-peer energy trading. But not just participate, but our platform would also optimise the opportunities within that. So the main sort of group at the moment is sort of, you know, a utility or someone looking to manage this on a larger scale. What sort of scale do you need to get to for this in terms of it being valuable for them? Is it 500 people, 1,000 people? At what point do they go, yep, 
a thousand's good. And then how do you can you know how do you go about convincing the individual users to put to pay or to put this clip on to see their data and and look at how their air condition might be functioning, but at the same time the value is being given to the utility or the distributed network. Yeah. So so look, um, utility is a very flexible word from us. It, it could be a community energy group. It could be a commercial facility manager, anyone who wants to manage the fleet. Now, in terms of the scale and the volume, it's largely dependent on the market rules. At the moment, you know, a tradable amount is about five megawatts. So if you've got a thousand houses with five kilowatts on their roof, then you're getting up there. So a thousand is a good number to start with. I, I am just amazed how quickly this industry is almost beginning to resemble investment sort of markets. I used to work many years ago for an organization that produced something that was quite novel at the time. It was a a rap platform. And their customers were financial advisors who wanted to streamline setting up a customer and being able to invest in lots of different places. And the thing is, what was amazing was that we weren't investing the money. We weren't giving advice, but we were a technological intermediary, which was then, of course, getting a part of the the, uh, the the value stream. So I'm really interested in, you know, AGL's got this product where they'll install a battery in your home and then whatever benefit comes from it, it's this black box of AGL and if any benefit that comes, they're getting it. And then, you know, they're offering a deal. So where do you see uh, like a, a typical situation where, an end consumer who isn't the, you know, you're just using a regular, say, residential load who has your hardware and is ostensibly on your platform, although they may not know it. Um, how would you see the intermediary between or the, the steps in between them installing it and the role you play and how the, how the value gets chopped up down the line and who are, what other entities could be involved? Yeah, look, that's, that's a great question. And part of the reason why look, we, we're really positioning ourselves as a platform because we see that there will be lots of potential business models that will run on top of that. Right. And we, we would like to make them all possible. I think how that plays out in terms of the end user's ultimate participation I think it will be a very exciting process to watch unfold. Mm. And so I've got a lot of hope, for example, in the community energy movement that we are going to see the sorts of business models that emerge that do deliver real value to the end user. There is a lot of hype around in the market at the moment. So, I mean, a a little caveat on these things. You know, for for example, you know, uh, there's a lot of excitement about people being able to participate in energy markets. Mm. But when you've got one battery in your house... That means that at some point you've got to reserve energy in your battery in order to sell it into some market. Now, if you're using your battery for that, you can't be using it for shifting energy to optimise your own consumption. So there's the lure of earning a little bit of money over possibly saving saving a lot more. It's a much more exciting premise to be marketing, you know, making money rather than saving money. And so I think... These types of trade-offs are going to start to be manifest in the market. I think uh, um, the sorts of business models and the sorts of players that bring these to market will shape the the flow of value. Mm. I'm really hoping to see a much more sophisticated participation from community energy groups in this space, you know, playing on these types of of options. Um, The technology is there now. Um, so, so someone could be one possible scenario is that someone could have a community retailer as their retailer and then as part of that, the retailer would install 
uh, droplets in, in, in their home and then uh, they would have um, just maybe a standard rate that, they, that they're paying with perhaps a rebate available based on the trading that the community retailer does. Is that a possibility? Is that, a, is that yeah, one scenario? For, for sure. I mean, for sure. Otherwise, a, a retailer could take a very different approach and, and uh, not make a profit based on the energy traded, be a service provider, a facilitator. And can I just sort of delve also into the, the value proposition here? We've had this gets talked a lot about and we, we keep this keeps getting brought up with all of the people playing bingo at home on this topic. Uh, <laughs> uh, pay attention to this next week. You'll get some points. But the idea around it being used for demand response, is it going to have the ability, like an Internet of Things, to be able to switch off your pool pump or your hot water system? Is it going to have that level of control over your system to, to provide that shock absorption for the grid? Yeah, so so um, so right now we're focusing around battery control, battery optimization, but we already have the capabilities for uh, managing loads in the house, in particular your air conditioning. Sure. Yep. Yep. Right. And if we just go on to the sort of competitive landscape, because there's a couple of different devices uh, out there doing similar things, but but in this sort of space. So how does your product compare to, you know, what watches and a few of the other ones out there in terms of what if what it offers, the pros and cons versus the, you know, the various other, you know, um, products in this market? So what watches is a great product. We like them very much. They uh, they're a monitoring product. They measure the power flows in the wires between your solar inverter and uh, and your energy meter and your load. We're very different. We happen to do monitoring, but our emphasis is really around the control and the orchestration of, of fleets. So that that's how we sit with them. We we can integrate with the wall watches yep, yep. as well. And and so and there's there's another one. Is it uh, Carbon Tracker? I've got a. So how does theirs compare to what watches and yours? What, how does theirs fit into this this landscape? Yeah. So 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 they are also um, into to monitoring and um, I think they do some relay control of loads um, and uh, uh, analytics around energy consumption. And in terms of uh, – there's another question we always seem to stumble across. What are the regulatory hurdles that you that you face now and that you will face going forward in terms of getting this product to market? What are the big things that are in your way at the moment and, you know, how do you see that regulatory environment changing as distributed energy and technologies uh, invariably take off? Look, uh, there's so much potential. I mean, I could point to some – regulatory areas that would unleash potential in particularly say around the ability to uh, you know for peer-to-peer energy trading you know uh, network charges localized network charges those sorts of rules and regulations will open up a whole lot of potential i can't say that it's a key barrier for us coming to market the the main thing is that right now the key players in the market are (laughs) working out what how they're going to do and what their future is. And that's really the biggest issue for us, that uncertainty. But of course, it's also an opportunity. Sure, sure. And and going forward, uh, Andrew, what is the sort of, you know, the, the biggest sort of rate determining step in seeing the mass adoption of a product like yours on a large scale that will really, you know, enable that thousand people or 5,000 people to, to really use this and, and for us to start seeing the benefits of it? What are the things that, you know, you guys really need to work at in a business model sense there? Yeah, well, well, the the, the key drivers, I think, uh, you know, the costs um, are coming down rapidly, and the early adopters, uh, you know, are leading the way at helping to bring that down. So, bringing those prices down will, will, de- will de- is definitely the key driver to scale. But then also the business models, the 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 things we talked about before, 
what, how are these things going to be delivered? There's an amazing opportunity to deliver new value to consumers as well as the network. And, um, you know, I, there's a few things coming out, but, but I think there's lots of scope. Someone's got to bust this open, and I think we'll see it fly. We've only got a few minutes left, and I wanted to ask a, a visionary question in terms of uh, in the future, I guess uh, you see a service like this and you think, oh, it's, it's maybe managing the noise a bit. So someone might take advantage of the fact that they've got um, energy available when, when the network needs it, whether it's a demand that's required on the grid or whether it's a frequency response or things like that. What do you expect most people to be, you know, when they're getting their energy service, what kind of energy service regardless of what sits in between in terms of software or hardware or business models, do you think most people in, say, 10, 20 years' time will be paying a a single bill um, that is just an energy service for a supply, regardless of how much they're using? Or do you expect it to be some sort of hybrid? How do you expect most people to be receiving their energy service in in, in the future based on the the technologies that you're seeing uh, making that possible? Yeah, look, I I, um, I think we're going to see that volume will become less and less an issue. It'll be about simply being connected, right. um, and that uh, you know we're you know we're heading towards this notional god parity, when the cost of self generation is less than the cost of distribution and transmission, and then of course it doesn't matter what generation you've got at the other end. Then we'll see that you know we'll still need the grid in that state. That case, we'll still need it for the the backup and other things. But it'll become a very flat feed service. So in that scenario where it will be a much higher threshold required to be, for any investment in the network because so much can be managed with non-network solutions, and the demand curve will be flattened right out because there are all these sponges across the network that that can trade. How do you expect the generation and network business to look without those those profits available that they've got now? Yeah, well, there's the potential for it to be a hugely democratised and you know open market. It could become the village market where everyone's trading their commodities alongside large commodity producers. Uh, that's certainly what I'd like to see, a great participation. Whether people actually have an appetite for that is another thing, um, in which case you know, I think we'll see a whole range of innovative service providers, certainly not the classical ones we see now. You know, we might see bundling of these sorts of services into provision of housing and provision of other connectivity services, water and telecoms. We may not recognise necessarily these things as distinct services anymore. And uh, we'll have to wrap things up, unfortunately, Andrew, but is there any sort of websites or links you'd like to direct our listeners to? So, yeah, look, great. Come and um, stay in touch, uh, switchedin.com, S-W-I-T-C-H-D-I-N, no E. Yeah, just just like uh, Tinder and uh, (laughs) Grindr and all those, very similar. (laughs) Very similar. Come along. Hook up. See who you can hook up. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much, Andrew. Uh, We've been speaking to Andrew Mears from Switched In, and uh, you've been listening to the Beyond Zero show to find out more about what we do and get in contact with us at bze.org.au. My name's Matt Grantham. I'm Anthony Daniel. We'll see you next time. See you later. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.